Welcome to this Markets Commentator podcast. My guest today is Tony Bell, the Chief Investment Officer of Venani Fund Managers. Tony, welcome to the show. A lot has changed since we spoke in November last year. Um, in November last year, the theme was when and by how much U.S. interest rates would rise. Um, and locally, we had in December that infamous uh, week of madness where we saw three ministers of finance which sent the, the RAND into a downward spiral. How fundamentally has the market changed over the last three months? Greg, thank you very much for the invite of, of being on your show. The market has changed in some ways and yet not in others. Um, the way it's changed is really has to do with how the market has priced uh, growth going forward. And the big concerns there has been is the U.S. economy growing at a slower pace uh, than the market had expected, resulting in lower company earnings. And secondly, is there a deflationary pulse um, about to hit the U.S. out of China with the potential risk of a devaluation of the Chinese one? So those are the two big issues that I see having troubled markets in early Jan. But markets have run really hard last year, and there seems to be a, a quite a negative sentiment currently. Um, do you think this is maybe overdone? I do think so. I think the doom and gloom profits are going to, or profits are going to have proved to be overstated their case a little bit. But I think what for your listener out there is relevant is that we are dealing with uh, quite an extended bull market. Uh, the bull market's now sort of nearly six years in the making. And a lot of the tailwinds that drove share prices higher have, uh, have abated. The liquidity thrust from QE1, 2, and 3. Uh, the stimulus from the ECB, the stimulus from Bank of Japan, we all know those were, were very powerful tailwinds. The very low interest rate environment that resulted in companies being able to borrow very cheaply and buy back their equity and also use surplus free cash flow to buy back their equity, that is, that's all tapering off. So now the focus shifts into earnings growth. And I think what's uh, the big message for for the listeners out there is that the market in the very short term has struggled to identify whether growth is in line with its previous expectations or whether it was likely to be lower. Many have commented that the Fed made a mistake in raising interest rates. Uh, I think January's GDP now was sort of the number of GDP for the first quarter of 2016 for the US may well surprise to the upside. And I think that's just going to add to investor uncertainty because it does feel a little bit like a sort of a stop-start model. Uh, one week we're in stop mode and the next week we're in start mode. And so I think investors have to sit back and take a long-term view and say, well, what sort of growth is being priced into markets at the moment? And that's, that's the real difficulty when it comes to share selection because many of your commodity stocks and things like construction in the local market have been absolutely pilloried in the last while. And those are the stocks where the market might have underpriced a recovery in growth. And the more defensive stocks are pricing in quite high growth multiples, which um, companies are going to struggle to, to deliver against. Before we talk about the individual stocks, um, you've been in the business uh, for nearly uh, 25 years. If you take a helicopter view, how different is what we're seeing now from you know, in the, in the previous 25 years, maybe excluding the corrections in 2000 and 2009? I think we're into a new era. I've just finished reading um, 
bit of a vacation read with Dr. Ellerion's book, uh, Central Bank's The Only Game in Town, and even he concedes in the book that having coined the phrase the new normal, this is anything but normal. It might be new, but it's not normal. I think we're dealing with a whole policy environment that is um, very, very unconventional. This is not the sort of framework that's taught in university economic and macroeconomic courses. So central banks are very much having to to feel their way as they go through. And as uh, the sort of Fed says, it's very data dependent, which is a euphemism, I guess, for we don't actually know. So we'll we'll take a decision when we, we get a bit more certainty based on the data. I think the environment at the moment really has to be looked at outside of the context of, of history. Um, this hasn't happened before, so it's very much a, a process from a fund manager's perspective of trying to find out where the dominant forces are at play and how the markets are responding to that. Maybe for the listener, an easy way to think about it is Post the GFC, the global financial crisis, we moved into QE1. Our objective of that was to save the bank's big liquidity push into the markets. Then came QE2, which uh, had the objective of pushing down long bond rates so that uh, U.S. Um, homeowners could refinance. QE3 was keep your foot on the gas pedal for long enough to try and get some traction in the economy. And with that tailwind now behind us, we're really moving into a new policy environment where negative nominal rates in the Eurozone and Japan are, are commonplace these days. A lot of bonds in the Euro market are trading at negative real yields. And so the, the, the real question is, to what extent does growth come through? And if it doesn't, how do policymakers respond? They really only have two tools left in their toolbox. The one is to go negative nominal rates and the other is to devalue the currency. And therein lies the policy risk of uh, some major country like or region like China or the U.S. having to resort to further unconventional measures to stimulate growth, largely because it's taken a long while for the credit cycle to uh, reassert itself. And only now do we start to see evidence that the credit cycle is coming back in the U.S. and in Europe. So I think we're, the markets are reflecting over the past week or two sort of easier breathing. Um, the macro data has a surprise to the upside or it's been positive. Oil price and commodity prices are recovering. Uh, the U.S. long bond market isn't reflecting such a dire state of affairs. And I think the market's fairly happy that we're, we're not moving into a policy framework which would be competitive devaluation and potentially a reduction in, in uh, interest rates in the States. But how should investors, you know, taper their expectations in, in this market? You know, is equities or as attractive as it was uh, a few years ago? And is it maybe an opportunity to try and, and diversify into other asset classes? Yeah, that's a nice question. I don't think they are nearly as attractive as they were in 2009 and through to 2013. Um, certainly the sentiment at that time was extremely cautious, if not completely negative, uh, by investors who feared a much worse macroeconomic environment as a likely outcome of, of what was happening at the time. I think for any investor, you you really have to go back to basics and look at, at how much companies are able to deliver in terms of growth. And there the numbers aren't bad. You know, in a low inflation environment, 
where inflation in the States is running at around 2%. Admittedly, South Africa is a little bit higher at around 7 but Europe is, is pretty inflationless, as is Japan. And so the, the conventional economic wisdom that was being espoused a few years ago that all this money printing would lead to higher rates of inflation has been proven to be dead wrong. And the, and the reason for that is very simple. Uh, the credit cycle has not got uh, going again. Balance sheet recession uh, was a sort of a theory developed by Richard Kube studying the the Japanese 20-year um, uh, period of deflation. And his basic thesis was that during periods of great economic contraction, people would rather pay off debt even though interest rates were low, hence the term balance, balance sheet recession. So consumers haven't been borrowing to to spend, but companies have still done very well. So the I think the, the simple answer that you're looking for is, is, is stick with long-term growth, um, oriented companies that are not overpriced for the growth that they're able to deliver. At this point in time, the cyclical stocks are extremely bombed out and as we go into a world where some of the capacity is removed and we, we get to a framework where there's more stability in the currency markets and we don't get onto a path of competitive currency devaluation, there's very, every, every likelihood that these shares are going to do very well. I'm just uh, looking at your one of your core funds um, is the um, uh, Venani uh, Core Equity Fund. And this fund has performed really well over the, the last few years. Um, but I, I see there's a definitive trend since the end of, of last year. In October last year, it made uh, 7.3%, which was nearly the best month uh, this fund has ever had. But then in... Uh, um, November, December, and January, we saw negative growth um, um, for three uh, consecutive months. And uh, you know, if you look at the total performance of those funds over the period, the percentage of positive months were 99.7%, only 0.3%. So currently, the local market is really tough. Yes, it is. Uh, I think the 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 reason for the slight underperformance in the short term is being overly cautious on the turn in commodity stocks. We've got. Sassel, Mondi, Billiton, um, Sabania in that portfolio, but obviously some of the shares like Anglers have run particularly hard. Uh, if I look at my screen here to date, Anglers up 73%. Some of the platinum stocks like Anglo-American Platts up 88 And so it shows you what sort of turnaround you can have in these stocks that have been extremely uh, oversold or sold down by the market in the, in the past while. That particular fund that you refer to is, is a very low-tracking era fund. Uh, it forms part of a range of portfolios that we run for clients with targeted return mandates of CPI plus 5. And so that's, that particular component uh, is really an integral part of how we manage the asset allocation exposure of the overall fund and the extent to which we want uh, exposure to equities as opposed to uh, just looking for um, alpha opportunity and the other suite of funds that we run where there's more of a SWIX benchmark, 
uh, the alpha has been about 2 to 3% over the same period, and a positive one at that. Well, let's look at um, individual sectors. You've uh, alluded earlier to the uh, construction sector and uh, and commodities, but you know we, we saw this bounce in commodities. And at the end of last year, many people you know looked at commodities and said, you know, there's a reason why some of these stocks are so low or have been sold mm-hmm. down so much. Don't try and time the market, and and then it bounced. So I- yeah. is it a missed opportunity or just bad luck? <laughs> I think it's a missed opportunity. Uh, I think markets do present you with opportunities and it's up to you to decide whether you take them or not. And I think that's part of the, the challenge of, of, of fund management is, you know, as one looks to protect drawdown risk in a portfolio, as you said, the number of positive months way exceeds the number of negative months. Uh, and that's part of the payoff that the client is looking for. Uh, clients looking for consistent returns. And what we try and do as part of this and other portfolios is we focus on minimizing the drawdown risk. Um, we find in very volatile times, even if you do a miss a bit to the upside, protecting most of the downside is far more uh, significant in to the client's long-term return than being able to time short-term bounces in the market. That being said, and part of a fund manager's sort of role and responsibility is is to try and work out what the the, the risk return trade off is. Um, in some cases, uh, the risk return trade off works in your favour, and and in others uh, it doesn't. And a lot of people hold anglers from 220, watch it go all the way through to 50. Uh, from 50, your base is quite a lot lower than it was at 220. Uh, for clients that have long term focus, what we try and do is is, is manage not only the potential re-entry, but in this particular case, we experienced none of the drawdown of commodity stocks over the past 18 months, which is why the fund historically has done very well longer term. Mm. Uh, looking uh, at, at sectors that offer value, uh, you, you've mentioned construction. Do you think uh, there could be upside in the short term? Uh, not as much as I think there could be in gold or resources. I, I think we're... We're looking at a world where structurally the resource sector is changing a lot more quickly. Uh, the construction sector is driven to a very large extent by the profit dynamics of that sector. There's still quite a lot of competition for projects. Uh, pricing is very keen, but within the commodity complex, uh, there's a lot of structural change happening. And also at these sort of levels, particularly on the oil markets, uh, supply can't sustain itself indefinitely. So we're going to we're going to get to a point where we think that those prices will move higher. Some stocks in the you know, banking sector and broader financial services sector has also been sold down, uh, mostly due to concerns about higher interest rates. But you can pick yeah. up some of the banks at, at, at uh, dividend yields of uh, around 7%. Absolutely, right. And I think for the more conservative investor, that's a really good place to go. If you look at something like um, Barclays Af- Africa, which is quite topical at the moment, you're picking it up on a sub-7 PE with a very decent dividend yield of around 6. And even if the bank were able to produce only, for argument's sake, 5% earnings growth, uh, your total return for the next 12 months would be comfortably in the early teens, which uh, is is a very very attractive investment proposition given the riskiness of of some other sectors in the market at the moment. Mm. Uh, Are you uh, actively buying in this market? Yes, we are. What are you buying? uh, Well, we've closed off a a large number of short positions, and the bulk of of what we're buying is is far more domestic cyclical 
uh, and and commodity uh, related stocks with a, with a specific focus on the mining conglomerates and uh, some selected gold shares. Mm-hmm. So that's quite a different positioning from what we've had in the past 36 months. The last 36 months have really been dominated by companies with high earnings growth vectors, companies that were able to enjoy a much higher price earnings multiple as a result of the low interest rate environment. Uh, But we find that there's quite a lot of exhaustion on those shares in terms of how much growth has been priced in. So we've moved into more of a positioning of local uh, orientation with a view towards local cyclical and, and global commodity-oriented stocks where we think the bounce could be quite uh, quite significant. Just lastly, and it's more a question from my own personal perspective, um, many investors hold uh, exchange-traded funds um, which, has, which have performed really well uh, over the past few years, um, but it, the market has become a stock picker's market, um, and y- your best fund managers uh, should outperform the you know the exchange traded funds sure do you think it's a good idea for some of these investors to move money from ETFs to actively managed funds mm, well of course the right question mm. is which actively managed funds do you move them to <laughs> <laughs> but what, what, should a, what should an investor you know how should you make that decision yeah so the, the simple rule that I follow or the simple guideline is as I, I, I work off a rule of thirds so I think for any any client that wants exposure to the market uh, there's really not a bad strategy of, of taking, for those investors that are in ETFs, uh, two-thirds of your money remain linked to the market. You, you get the swings, but you also get the roundabouts. Um, and then taking a third and, and selecting uh, managers that, that, that run much higher tracking or much more focused portfolios, typically you'd find those sort of portfolios would have 25, 30 stocks in, and the manager would either be following a certain investment style or a certain theme, and and the two complement one another nicely. I've I've never sort of held the view that it's an either or. Uh, I think there's an, there's an attraction to both. Thank you, Tony. That was Tony Bell, the chief investment officer of Unani Fund Managers.